This is Real Estate Rookie episode 305. Before you even think about your market, think about what your goals are as a real estate investor. If your goal is to leave your job as fast as humanly possible, appreciation itself isn't really going to help you. Tax benefits per se aren't really going to help you as much, right? You want cash flow, you want profits. So I think think about what your goal is, what your strategy is, and that kind of helps you identify what market you should be going into, what strategy you should be going into. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And today's episode is a little different because not only are we going to be talking on the Real Estate Rookie Show, but we're also going to be talking on the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast for an episode that's getting, uh, I guess, I don't know, like simultaneously aired on uh, on two podcasts at the same time. But it's about a topic that I think is super important, um, both for uh, audiences of the Rookie Show and the Real Estate Podcast, and that's how to analyze deals properly in 2023. And you know, Ashley talks a little bit about the long-term mental side. I talk a little bit about the short-term mental side, and really just even before that, just in general, what, why getting good at analyzing deals is so important. Yeah. So Tony does a breakdown of analyzing a short-term rental, and then I do an analysis of a long-term rental that is a single-family but zoned as a duplex. So. We go into the two different uh, analysis as to a single family compared to converting it back into the duplex that it was meant to be. And um, we go through how we find our rents, uh, whether that is the daily rate for a short-term rental or the monthly rate for a long-term rental. Uh, We talk about some of the things that maybe we have changed in our deal analysis since we first started and since we've grown and also as the market has changed. So we'll talk a brief overview and then we'll actually share our screen. So if you are listening to this on um, your podcast platform and just have it on audio, highly recommend you come back and actually watch it on YouTube so you can see a screen share. I will use the bigger pockets calculator reports. I'll use the rental calculator and then also the Burr calculator. And then Tony will be using um, his short-term rental cal- calculator and we'll share those on the screen. So if you decide that you want to watch this and kind of get a visual because you're more of a visual learner, uh, make sure you go to the Real Estate Rookie YouTube channel and search for episode 305 and you'll be able to find this episode on deal analysis and take a watch of what we actually share. So I guess let me just share a quick review uh, before we get into Ashley and I's breakdown on on deal analysis here. Um, this review actually comes from someone by the username of MeowMix131. Uh, so I love the username. But MeowMix says, after finishing the Bigger Pockets book, I became hungry for more information. I started listening to this podcast, the Ricky podcast, and I was blown away by the wealth of information. When I started researching more about it, there was so much junk I felt like I had to sift through. Most real estate gurus just seem super cocky and use inflated wordage and don't actually explain what they're talking about. These two really slow things down and help explain the basics. They're easy to listen to and have become a part of my morning routine on my commutes. Um, Ashley and Tony and their guests have taught me so many things and I've recommended to all of my friends. So Meow Mix, that is a glowing review. We appreciate you taking the time. For all of you that are listening, if you haven't yet, please take a few minutes just to leave an honest rating review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is you're listening. Uh, the more reviews we get, the more folks we can reach. The more folks we reach, the more folks we can help, which is what we're all about here at Bigger Pockets. 
Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent to retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests to the maintenance to organizing the cleaners after every guest day, with Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. Okay, so Tony, let's get into some deal analysis. I'm super excited to talk about this because I, I feel like it's honestly one of the most important things that people need to understand as they're getting into their real estate journey, but it's probably a set that most people don't spend enough time really getting good at. So I'm excited to dive into today's content. And I think that it can change too. So just because you're an expert at analyzing a single family property does not mean that you're also an expert at analyzing a duplex. There are so many different um, things compared to the property type of what you are analyzing, but also market specific too. For example, if you're in Florida, you may have to account for hurricane insurance. If you're in a flood zone, you have to account for flood insurance, uh, depending what the city taxes are. So for a short-term rental, you may have to account for 
some kind of permit to actually operate a short-term rental. So there's a lot of different things that are specific to your market, to your property when it comes to analyzing a deal. And our best advice, I would say, to a rookie investor is stick to one market and stick to one property type and get really, really good at analyzing that one specific niche and then go out and branch out and analyze other deals and other markets and things like that. So as much as we would love to analyze deals for you guys all very specifically and tell you exactly how to analyze a deal in your neighborhood, um, we are going to do some examples of what we are currently investing in. Uh, Tony has a, a flip property that he's going to talk about how he analyzes it. And then I'm going to talk about a single family house uh, and how to analyze it in one of the markets I invest in. So first, Tony, before we actually get into the deals, do you want to kind of do like a, a breakdown of the process of analyzing a deal? Yeah, absolutely. And I think before I even talk about the process, Ash, I want to I want to share with all of the listeners that you don't necessarily have to be a quote unquote numbers person to get good at analyzing deals as a real estate investor. The the beautiful thing here is that regardless of how uh you know tech savvy or excel savvy you are if you hated math in high school or whatever it is, you can still get good at analyzing properties as a short-term rental, as a flip, as a burr, as whatever it is, because there's a, a proven set of steps you need to follow. So as long as you can follow directions, um, you should be able to, to get at least decent at analyzing properties with whatever strategy it is that you're using. And even if you don't like using Excel, right, that's a, a totally free tool, but uh, Bigger Pockets obviously has a, a bunch of calculators that you can use to help automate this process as well. So um, as long as you can punch numbers <laughs> Um, on your keypad, uh, on your keyboard, then you should be able to analyze deals as well. Um, so I just want to start with that first. Like that's, that's the important thing. I, I want you guys to understand that regardless of, you know, whether you're a, a freak in the, in the spreadsheets or, or maybe, uh, maybe not, you can still get, still get good at this. Um, so I lost some train of thought. What the heck did you ask me to do before I went off on to that tangent? I, I didn't ask you to do anything. So that was perfect, Tony. But I wanted to talk about um, what are some of the steps in analyzing a deal, like some of the things you should think about before actually getting into the numbers. So mm -hmm. uh, the first thing is, where are you going to invest in and doing the market analysis of figuring out if this is actually an area that's going to benefit your why for investing in real estate. So if you're somebody who's maybe looking for long-term play, you don't really need cash flow right now, you love your job, you want to stay in your W-2, but you don't have any retirement maybe set up. And so you want properties that are going to appreciate so you can tap into that equity down the road and you can pull that out for your retirement. So in the that scenario, maybe a market with minimal cash flow, but high chance of appreciation is going to be a better play for you than somebody who's like, I want to get out of my job now. So I need cash flow right now. I need high cash flow. I don't care that much about appreciation because I want money now. Um, and then there's people who care about both. They want both of those things. So definitely picking your market um, is one of the, the first steps and really focusing in and honing on that because markets are so different that it will make you lose focus if you are trying to analyze deals in five different markets across the country. So as a new investor or even as an experienced investor, 
Don't try and go to 10 different markets at once. Get really good at one market for whatever strategy you're doing, then branch out and use your skill set to continuously to analyze markets and then go into those points. Yeah, I think even uh, like I love what you just said. I think it's a super important point, but I think even taking one step back and this kind of ties into what you said initially, but before you even think about your market, think about what your goals are as a real estate investor, because that's going to play a, a big factor in how you make some of those subsequent decisions. So you talked to Ash about like, you know, are you focused on cash flow today or are you focused on on tax benefit? If your goal is to leave your job as fast as hum- humanly possible, then appreciation itself isn't really going to help you today. Appreciation is a long-term play. Um, if your goal is to, uh, you know, quit your job today, tax benefits, uh, Per se, aren't really going to help you as much, right? You you want cash flow, you want profits. So I think think about what your goal is, what your strategy is, and that that kind of helps you identify what market you should be going into, what strategy you should be going into, um, because you you got to identify which one supports your goal. Because I you know I, I we we are in a very fortunate position, Ash, where we get to talk to people from all different walks of life, different stages in their real estate investing career, and I hear some folks who say, Tony. You know, actually, Ash, we were in Denver just a couple of weeks ago and we were sitting with Neb, who's a doctor. Um, Neb, actually, we met at, at BPCon last year and he won this raffle to hang out with me and Ashley for a day at, at Bigger Pockets headquarters. And uh, Neb's a doctor. And, you know, obviously, doctors have, you know, high incomes. And a big goal for Neb was, okay, how do I offset my W 2 income with the passive losses that real estate can provide? So a lot of his real estate investing strategy was focused on that piece. So as he's looking for properties, He's not going to necessarily be able to look in in markets where price points and land value and property value are super low uh, because that doesn't support his goal of getting the the cost benefits. He's going to have to go into markets where the the property values are a little bit higher um, and he can get the benefit of like a cost segregation study. Um, whereas, you know, say someone who said, I want to quit my job tomorrow, they've got to go out and focus. Okay. Where can I get maybe some good bird deals? Where can I get good cash flow with minimal cash outlay? So I think a lot of that kind of ties into it, but Ash, once you, once you've kind of decided on a market and I think, I think both of you and I are, are unique in this approach because we ha- kind of had different approaches to this, but when you kind of start to narrow down on, on your market, are there any indicators you're looking for inside of that market to say, okay, yes, this is a good place for me to start analyzing deals. Yeah. So I started out just close to home because this was the market I knew because I grew up there and I also worked for another investor and I knew the market. Uh, there's been two times that I've kind of went out of my comfort zone into the city, not the rural areas. <laughs> and those were both on uh, a real estate agent's recommendation and actually the same one. And so I would listen to everything that she said about those neighborhoods. And then I went and did my own research to kind of verify that. So some of the tools I use for that are Neighborhood Scout and then also um, Bright Investor. So those are two pieces of software where you can pull up so much market data that I used to go to like citydata.org and all these different websites to find everything that I wanted, you know, a crime website. But now there's so many programs uh, that have it all tied together that save you so much time and have all the information you need. So Bright Investor is a, a newer one, but you can go on there and just like pull all of the data that you need to analyze a market. They basically do all the work for you. And that is where I'm looking at, okay, what is the job growth? 
as to what has been in the last couple of years and what is the potential. Uh, then I'm also looking at the population growth. Are people moving there? Are they moving away from there? I'm also looking at what are the demographics as far as age. And if you see, you know, there's a lot of kids, like it's more of a, a family neighborhood where if I'm looking at a five bedroom house, I may not want to go into an area that has a lot of single people that are unmarried, you know, maybe 30 to 40s, where maybe they're out of that period where they're in their 20s and don't want to live with roommates. But um, so just looking at all these different variables that come into play when looking at the market, but then also, you know, what's the the price to rent ratio? What's the average cost of living? What is the average income? Uh, all of these different things that you can pull and look at the market. And then you have to take all of that information and tie it into your investing strategy. So if I'm analyzing for a short, short-term rental, it's going to be very different data and stats that I want from that market analysis compared to if I'm looking for a long-term buy and hold play in this market. Yeah, so many, so many good points there, Ashley. But one thing I want to call out that I, I thought was super important, you said you you started off kind of investing in your backyard because that's what you knew, but you also supported that decision with data. And I think that's the step that a lot of people miss. There's nothing wrong with saying, I know this market, so I'm going to invest here because I'm, I'm comfortable and familiar with it. But you have to take it one step further and make sure that it actually makes sense to invest in that market. You know, a, a lot of what we do is in the short-term rental space. And I've seen some folks get just absolutely hammered on deals because they invested in markets that they knew, but they didn't take that secondary step of, of supporting that decision with data. They said, I love going to Maui, so I'm going to buy a condo in Maui. I love vacationing at the beaches in Florida, so I'm gonna buy a beachfront property in Florida. I love going to, you know, name the place, name the state, and they say, I like going there, therefore it must be a good investment, but that is not true whatsoever. You can use that as your first step, but you still want to make sure that that you you take that secondary step of supporting it with data. And I think what you talked about, Ash, about using those websites is a kind of a great place to go. And again, obviously the, the strategy that you use is also going to dictate some of the data that you need to pull. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the, the flips and short-term rentals that we do, but like, I want to make sure that the data specific to the asset class that I'm focusing on to the, to the strategy that I'm focusing on supports um, that, that next step there. So when, when I think a little bit, Ash, about like where people get, where people get hung up on analyzing deals. Uh, first, I think is where to pull the data from. And I think you you gave some great resources there. Um, Bigger Pockets actually, as you're going through the calculator tools, they also kind of give you hints on where you can pull some of this information. Um, so uh, if you guys go to Bigger Pockets, look at the tools, find the calculator for whatever strategy it is you're, you're trying to use, I think that's a great starting point to help you get over that initial hump of what data do I need and where should I be pulling that data? Because BP literally guides you through that process. Um, I think the the second thing that people get caught up on is how do I know if I'm doing it the right way, right? How do I know if I'm if I'm missing anything? Because you see a lot of investors who let, let's take like a long term rental for example, they might understand. Okay, cool. Here's here's a property that I'm looking at purchasing. Here is a comparable property for rent. Maybe it's renting for whatever two thousand bucks a month, but they forget that they need to include things like capex or maintenance and repairs. So again, I I think if you use a tool that is built to help kind of fill in some of those gaps, it becomes easier to have confidence as you're going through those steps. So literally, the first deal that I ever analyzed, 
actually the first multiple deals I ever analyzed, I did them all with the BP calculators because you can't move forward without filling in all of that required information. I felt like it was super helpful for me. Tony, let's um, run on to like now the actual deal, what your investment strategy is. So you've kind of got your market analysis, you know where you're pulling your data from, but you have to pull the data for the actual property too, such as what are the property taxes? How do I estimate insurance? Are there, you know, any zoning, you know, requirements I need to know about? Are short-term rentals allowed here? What are the rules and regulations of the city? So pulling all of that information, that can actually be a bit of legwork if you've never invested in that market before, you don't really know anything about it. So when you're doing the the actual deal analysis, you want to know what strategy you're going for. So you want to have your buy box with your property type, your strategy. Um, are there like definite no's for you? Like, I don't want a house with a pool. Um, and one of the reasons may be because your insurance premium may be higher if you have a pool and you have renters in the place. So going through your buy box, what is your max purchase price that you are looking to buy at in that market? So going through and making this list will definitely help you expedite analyzing deals because you can go through and go ahead and just like check like, nope, this property did not meet this criteria or yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Okay. Now I'm actually going to dive deeper into the analysis part of the deal. And, um, one thing with doing that is like, you also stay focused and you stay specific on what you're trying to do. And one thing I will, uh, go over in the deal that I analyzed for you guys is that I'm focused on one strategy, but with the, how the way the market is, I am also analyzing deals based on a second strategy as almost an exit strategy. So if my first strategy isn't going to work, how else can I make that property work? And a lot of people ran into that as our our friend Tyler Madden, who's been on the podcast several times, and we just had his wife Zosha on on episode 301. They purchased a property as a short-term rental. After closing on the property, they found out that where the property was located, you could not do short-term rentals and they had to transition and pivot their strategy to medium-term rentals. And it actually ended up working out great for them. But being cautious of if you have a different strategy so that if you are maybe wrong in running your numbers as to what that backup exit plan can be, and maybe it's selling it, uh, maybe, you know, turning in medium-term rental, whatever that is, that you have some kind of backup in place in case that first strategy doesn't end up working out the way that you want it to. And it's almost like having a, a safety net. I just want to, I just want to highlight really quickly, Ash, you, you talked about the the buy box and just to like clarify that for folks that maybe aren't familiar with that phrase. Um, again, your, your buy box is basically just you identifying what type of property am I comfortable purchasing that aligns with my chosen strategy and with my chosen chosen goal or like what I'm trying to get out of this? So like I can tell you for us, if we're flipping a home in Joshua Tree, we're typically looking for something that's about three bedrooms, usually one to two bathrooms, 1,100 to 1,300 square feet, built sometime around 2,000 to 2,000 and maybe 10 at the, at the uh, latest because we know inside of that little box – pretty much down to the penny how much we're going to spend to to renovate something like that. Uh, we know that we can get in and get out. We can finish a, a rehab in six weeks on that kind of product. And it's something that, that, we've, uh, that we've done multiple times. However, uh, when you're first starting, 
it's not always easy to really know what your buy box is. Uh, and sometimes you kind of just got to use the, the data that's available and make your best judgment. Um, so I can like on the short-term rental side, when we first started looking, we looked at all the data for that specific market and we compared revenues by bedroom size. Typically when you're analyzing short-term rentals, you kind of separate it by bedroom count. And we looked at five bedrooms, four bedrooms, three bedrooms, twos, one studios. And we said, okay, we think the best return is here, the four or five bedroom for this specific city. So as we started to look for deals, we said no to anything that wasn't a four or five bedroom initially. And all of our acquisition efforts were focused on four and five bedrooms because we felt that was what made the most sense. And then as we started to get more comfortable and familiar in that market, we started to identify how smaller properties uh, could play a role in our portfolio as well. We started to open that buy box up a little bit. So I think what's most important is just creating that buy box so that you can get really good at analyzing something specific. Because like Ashley mentioned earlier, it's easier to become an expert at analyzing five bedrooms in this zip code with this type of construction style than it is to analyze everything in an entire county. Um, so I think part of the buy box, part of the reason why it's so important is to help give you that confidence as you're analyzing deals. The next thing after you know knowing what your market is, what kind of deal you're looking for is how are you going to pay for the deal? Uh, there's often the phrase heard that if you find a deal, the money will come because it's a deal and everybody will want to be a piece of that opportunity. But it is way less stressful if you have a plan in place as to how you're going to fund a deal before you actually have it. Instead of running around like a chicken with your head cut off trying to find a private money lender, hard money lender after you have the deal locked up and you have 72 hours to to get funding secure. So figuring out how you're going to fund a deal. So uh, right now, my main sources for funding a deal are uh, my lines of credit that I have using um, cash, my own cash for rehabs. And then also I have a private money lender that I use for a lot of deals. And then um, for my re refinances, I'm doing a lot of them on the commercial side of lending. And I did one recently on the residential side. Uh, but that's kind of how I'm funding my deals. I'm not really doing any purchases that are mortgages right at the beginning that I'm usually doing the lines of credit or the cash. Last year, I did do uh, three properties that were purchased with hard money. And right now, it is way more cost effective for me to just use my lines of credit to fund the deals. Yeah, I'd say the vast majority of what's in our portfolio, uh, both on our, our holds and our flips have been funded with private capital, private money in some way, shape or form. Um, every single flip we've done has been fully funded with private money. We haven't used any hard money yet. Um, the majority of our properties that are in our short-term rental portfolio, you know, kind of we birthed them or we bought them initially with private money and then we refied into, into long-term debt or we brought in partners who carried the initial mortgage. But um, for us, and I think because we built a little bit of a track record, it's been uh, a good method and a win-win situation for us and that person to leverage private money. Now, I know a lot of folks might be thinking, you know, duh, you guys are Tony and Ashley, bigger pockets uh, co-hosts, and you know, you, you guys have these these big platforms. So easy for you guys to raise private capital. But I can tell you, I know people that are not podcast hosts that that don't have, you know, tens of thousands of followers on social media that are still leveraging private capital to fund the majority of their deals. And, you know, Ash and I have talked to folks in the, on the rookie podcast who did it on their first deal, you know, with, with no track record whatsoever. So if you're wondering, man, how do I, where are all these people hiding that just have money to give to us investors? You got to start building your network out. 
Um, and that's attending local meetups, host, hosting your own meetup. Uh, there's a lot of benefit that comes from that. But I, I think the more hands you can shake, the more ways you can provide value to other people, uh, the, the easier it'll be for you to find that potential private money lender for your own deals as well. And the private money lenders that I use were all before the podcast. I didn't meet any of them through being on bigger pockets or through the podcast. They were all private lenders before um, I actually started on the podcast. So it definitely, um, and there, there's a lot of great Instagram accounts that uh, share how to, you know, reach out to private money lenders uh, solely at Lattes to Lisa's. She does a really great job of explaining in social media posts how she has approached private money lenders, how she does, you know, a pitch deck to them per se as to what the deal is, what's it about and how they can um, lend on the deal. That's one of the best ones that I've seen. Yeah. I also got a shout out, uh, Amy Majuri. She's Amy, A-M-Y-M-A-H-J-O-O-R-Y on, uh, on Instagram. And, uh, she also does a, creates a lot of great content specifically about raising private capital for your real estate transactions. Okay. So do you want to do one of our deals? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Do you want me to go first? Yeah. If you're, if you're volunteering a tribute, let's do it. <laughs> Have you seen that movie? Have you seen Hunger Games? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. I've re- I actually right. read the books and then I saw the movie. Ooh, yeah. excuse me. I've read the I books know. first. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> I got to talk about that nerdy side of me. <laughs> okay, I'm actually going to do a screen share. So if you guys are listening to this in the car, wherever you are, go back and find it on YouTube so you can actually watch the screen as I'm going through it. I will do my best to be as uh, visual as I can with my words, but... When I uh, speak or write, I am definitely a lot more analytical than (laughs) visual and storytelling. So uh, I'll do my best, but I'm going to do a screen share here. Okay. So first, I just want to share with you guys some of the data that I pulled on this market because this is my first time going into this neighborhood. This is a neighborhood of Buffalo, New York. So how this deal came about and one important aspect of getting a deal done is actually sourcing deals. And so I got a text from my real estate agent that I've used for quite a few of my deals. She did my first property back in uh, 2013. So we've had a, a, a good standing relationship. And she texted me and said, Ashley, I thought of you. I just walked this house. You got to come see it in an amazing area. Can you come tomorrow or something like that? So I went and looked at it. And I just want to confirm. So this was on market. No, this was not on market. So in what the real estate agent was doing was in their office, they kind of will sometimes put their heads together and help comp a listing as to what it should be priced at. So agents will take other agents on tours of properties that they have that are coming up to one, help them price it, get their thoughts on it. Second, to have it almost as a pocket listing to see if they can sell it before it even goes on the MLS. So this was considered a pocket listing where it was not listed yet. The person that lived in the property had passed away and it was now going to his estate. And there was a trustee of estate who just wanted to sell it. So my agent had gone through with the seller's agent And so I got into the property the next day. I met her there and the seller's agent. I always, always love when the seller's agent is at the property because they know so much more 
about the property, about why the seller is selling than my agent does because my agent is just walking in the door with me and all they have is kind of what's going to be on the MLS. But this wasn't even on the MLS yet to have any information about it. So we went through the property with them. In this neighborhood, I didn't know anything about it. So it was great that we drove, we walked around, everything like that to kind of get a visual. The seller's agent knew a lot about the area and told me all this stuff. So sounds great coming from the two agents, but then again, you have to verify. So I went and looked at the areas where there was a lot of gentrification, a lot of revitalization in um, the surrounding streets, because in Buffalo and along with a lot of cities, it can vary street by street. So South Buffalo, I have a several investments in, and I can tell you the exact, I could draw out on a map the exact shape of where exactly I want to be in South Buffalo. And for um, this part of Buffalo, I just, I didn't know any of that. So uh, going on Google Maps and doing the walk view where you can actually take your little yellow guy and walk the streets if you can't physically be there or going to the property. But so here's just a couple examples of the the data that I pulled. So right here, looking at a three-year forecast. Uh, so right here, this then kind of the top column got cut off here, but where you're seeing a, a 10 on the top for the three-year forecast. So one to 10, 10 being the best as far as appreciation in that, in homes in that area that they're going to see. They think that over the next three years, this property will appreciate 18%, okay? Over the next year, it will be about 6%, okay? That is considered a 10 rating compared to all of Buffalo. It is compa it compared to the nation, it is a 7 rating, which is still actually pretty good. Um, and then it goes on to talk about like the latest quarter where it actually went down for from uh, Q4 2022 to Q1 to 2023, which I saw all over our state as to just a drop in um, prices. But then once spring hit, everything shot right back up again and everything's going over listing. Everything is being, you know, sold within a couple of days or gone pending within a couple of days. So then another, you know, stat that I pulled here too as to the population growth. So there is actually a little orange warning symbol by this. So it says within half a mile from the location, the the population is um, changed 11%. Okay. And I believe this was um, for within the last five years. Okay. So 11% increase. And when I had clicked on that little orange thing, it said this is higher it was either higher or on average with the nation. I think it was higher than what the na national average is for population growth. Okay. So right there, those are two things that look really intriguing to me about this neighborhood. And I actually did it very, very niche down as to like, this is only like a three block radius right now that I'm looking in um, as far as comparing this neighborhood. Okay, so now I'm going to take you guys to the actual bigger pockets report that I pulled. Okay, so this is using the rental calculator report. So this property that I looked at, it doesn't need really any rehab, maybe a couple of cosmetic things and just like the yard cleaned up, um, lots of garden gnomes, things like that. So 
this property, if I'm going to rent it out as a single family home, I don't have to do any rehab. I'm going to be able to list it for $1,300 per month. It is a five bedroom house with one and a half bath. Okay. One thing that I am really looking at right now, and I'm finding this to my advantage, and I've started looking at this because the market is competitive right now. The market has changed as to what it was two years ago. And this is probably something I will carry forward forever, though, is looking at unique properties or things that are not apparent. So this property is a single family home, but it is actually zoned as a two family home, as a duplex. And it does have separate meters on there for electric. Yeah, let me let me ask one thing because I think that's an important thing to call out. How did you how did you identify that? Like, if I'm a if I'm a new investor, how do I figure out if the actual usage of this property matches with what it's zoned for? So you can go to PropStream, and usually they will have that data on there as to what the zoning is. You can go to uh, the GIS mapping system for the county. Uh, one red flag for me on to kind of like trigger looking into this was that there was the two meters on the side of the house. But if this was listed on the MLS, it would be listed as a single family home. So if this property were to get to the point where it was listed, then it would be listed as a single family. And there would be people who were looking for multifamily just automatically passing by this listing. So the only things that need to be done to actually make this back into a two unit would to be put up a wall where the stairs go to the upstairs, which is very cost effective and not hard to do. And then in the bathroom, add the shower back in. The shower was taken out, which again, it's not that that difficult of a do- thing to do. There's a basement. The plumbing all runs right under the bathroom. You just hook up, hook up a new drain and you put your shower in. So those are the the two things that you would need to do. So for my example, I ran the property as a single family home. Okay, as a single family home, we kind of talked about, Tony, with you for short-term rentals, comparing like bedroom count, like you're going to get more for a four bedroom than a three bedroom, but not as much for a five bedroom or whatever your example is. The same may go with a long-term rental where there just isn't enough income to support what you could charge for a five bedroom. So for example, a three bedroom house and a five bedroom house might just only be $50 more just because nobody living in that neighborhood can pay more than $1,300 a month. So I ran this property as a single family home and it ended up being negative $45 in cash flow. Okay with a negative 1.65% cash on cash return. And when I did this, I ran it with even putting 20% down on the property and just getting a conventional 30-year fixed rate loan on the property. But let's go through uh, some of the expenses. Well, first, the the rent, I found that by going to the Bigger Pockets rent estimator and putting in the address of the property and it pulling up comparables. Then I also went to Zillow Rent and I looked at what is currently listed. Then I also went to Facebook Marketplace and looked at what is currently listed in that area for rent. And I used those three metrics to kind of come at the point that 1300 is a very conservative number that I could get for rent for this property as a single family home. 
It also has a large backyard and it has a driveway, which not a lot of the other properties in the, the neighborhood have that. Okay. Then I went and pulled the taxes. I pulled the taxes. I never go with the MLS listing and what it says. And even though this property wasn't listed on there, I always verify myself, no matter the source, no matter who's telling me, I always verify what the property taxes are. So I went to the Buffalo Ores website. I went to the Erie County GIS mapping website, and I was able to pull the property taxes off of there and get the copy of the tax bills. The next thing is insurance. So insurance, I've gotten good at estimating just because of knowing properties in this area and what I currently pay, pay on a single family or what I currently pay on a duplex right now. If you really want to hone in on your insurance is to actually go to a broker and get a quote and just ask them. Quotes are free to get. And yes, an insurance broker is going to get annoyed with you if you keep every deal you analyze, you keep asking them for a quote and you don't actually buy these properties and they're having to do all these quotes for you. But at least if you do one or two with them, you can kind of gauge an idea as to what they are. And then there's also you know websites like Policy Genius. We've had them as an ad sponsor before. We just go online and plug in the information and they give you a quote. And then the fixed expenses. So since this is a single family home, the tenant is going to pay for the electric, the gas, the water and sewer. There are no HOA fees and the garbage is looped in with the the property taxes. And it's like a user fee with the the water, um, which will be billed back right to the tenant, the user fee. And then lastly, the variable expenses. So on this, I did 8% for vacancy, 8% 8% for maintenance, 8% for CapEx. So I gauge my percentage on the condition of the property and also the age of the home. So this being a single family property for vacancy, I went with 8% where if maybe this was a three unit, I maybe would have cut that down to 6% just because if one tenant moves on the single family, I have no rental income coming in. But in a three unit, at least I still have two other rental units bringing rent income in. Then for maintenance, because it is an older home, I did the 8% capex, same 8%. The management fees, 8%. That's kind of a, a going rate in this area. Um, I think I was paying 6.5% before uh, with a property management company, but that was because it was a bulk rate. But um, it's between 8 to 10%. I have my own property manager in place. Um, so it it's, ends up being less than that because I'm just paying like kind of the cost of having a property manager and a team. And um, so that will most likely be a lot less, but I always like to factor in what the current property management fees are in the area because one day I decide again, I want to use a third-party property management company. I already have it baked into my numbers. But for this property, it would be a negative $45 per month in cash flow. Okay. So we did look and we did see that it is projected to have a 6% increase every year in the home's value. So maybe if I'm going for appreciation, that, you know what, I can lose $50 a month. It's fine. And I'll just wait for the property to appreciate. And I'll go and refinance and I'll pull a bunch of equity out and then I'll go buy another property or maybe I'll sell it in five years when it's projected to to be worth more. Okay. So those are some of the different scenarios that are running through my head when I'm thinking about this. I don't, 
I don't buy usually properties that are a negative cash flow. So this would be a new thing for me if I decided to go with this property for this. And I should mention too, which I don't think I did, was the the purchase price I set here was $150,000, okay? And that's what the the seller had said that they would think they were maybe going to list it for. They they weren't sure yet. And I did 7% for my interest rate, amortized over 30 years, and the loan amount would actually be 120,000 after putting down that down payment of 20%. Okay, so next I'm going to take you to a second analysis that I ran on the property. And the second analysis is if I were to convert this back into a duplex. Okay, so it's important to note too that for if you're going to be doing any rehab and you want to refinance after you do the rehab, Bigger Pockets does have a separate calculator. They have their rental calculator, which you still can built or uh, bake in rehab into that calculator too. But then there's also the Burr calculator. And this one will be if you are doing a rehab and you're going to refinance. So this will actually um, calculate your holding cost during the rehab period until you've you've gotten it rented and until you've refinanced. So for this one, I did the purchase price of $140,000. Because remember, just because somebody is asking a certain amount of money does not mean that's what you have to pay for that property. So if I'm analyzing a deal and I may use their asking price as a starting point, but I th- that doesn't mean that's what I have to pay. And like, oh, the deal doesn't work. I, I don't give up. I go in and I manipulate my purchase price. I don't go in and say, oh, well, you know what? Maybe I can bump the rent up a little bit more. No, I want to be super conservative on what my rent is and also what my expenses are. So inflating expenses, not too much so that they're not realistic, but also keeping my rental income low and not overinflating that. And then if I end up being able to list the rent, the rental inc- rent for even more, like great, that's bonus money. So for this one, I ran it with $140,000 as the purchase price. And this one I did add that I would purchase it with my line of credit where I pay 9% with my line of credit. So I'd be paying that 9% interest only to my line of credit. I put that I could expect to refinance within four months. So you know, if I set aside a month to do the rehab, which would be blocking off the separate door by creating a wall on the stairs and then also adding that shower into the lower bathroom. Realistically, that would take less than a month, but I'm giving myself uh, a month to actually, you know, take care of that. And then by the time I close with the bank financing, I'm giving myself plenty of time by saying four months. Okay. So differences with this, there's no down payment. I'm just taking the full 140000 off my line of credit, paying the 9% interest, and I'll be paying 1050 in interest a month until I'm able to refinance on that property. For the refinance, I'd like to do a residential loan at 30 years. As of yesterday, when I talked to a lender at one of the banks I use, the approximate rate would be 7.5% for that. Um, my loan fees, I put at 4,000, which is they're usually like around 3%, I would say on the, the residential side. And then my monthly P&I would be $971.91. And that's also with baking in those loan fees as adding that. But so this lo- total loan amount, I did it at 135,000. 
So that's with me leaving 5,000 of the purchase price into the deal. And then also the rehab, I estimated at 10,000. I really think the rehab is going to be less than that, but I need to clean up the yard. And there's a couple other little updates that I want to do to the property. So I'm being conservative with that, that 10,000. Um, by overinflating it a little bit. But I'm leaving money into the deal on this property. I'm only pulling out 135000 but I have 150 into the deal. So this makes my cash on cash return 11.22%. Okay. I usually target more for 15% at minimum on cash on cash return. This would leave my monthly cash flow $116.93. And my monthly income, this is the part that I really like about turning this property into a duplex, is my monthly income would be $2,100 because now I have two units and I'm able to get more for a three bed, one bath and a two bed, one bath than a five bedroom single family home with one and a half baths. So that was where it's kind of looking at the property and figuring out, okay, what can I do different to maximize the income, put a little rehab money into it. And there's other examples of this. So maybe you have a property that has a large driveway. Can you rent out parking spots to the neighbors, to someone to store an RV, a boat? Does it have a garage? Does it have a barn? Um, we have one single family home that has this huge barn that we rent that out separately uh, for somebody for storage. So I love looking at a property and thinking about, okay, what are the things that I can do different to make this a better deal instead of looking at it and like, how can I manipulate the numbers in a negative way that I end up just becoming underwater because I'm not getting the rent I wanted. I cut out the lawn mowing expense thinking that I could find it a lot cheaper than what it actually costs to have the grass cut. So as you look at the expenses here, you'll see that there are different expenses now that I do have to pay though, because it is now the duplex. So water and sewer, it is not separately metered. So I will be paying the water and sewer. I could charge back a water fee if I wanted to, but most of the, the properties in that area do not. So I want to stay competitive. If I did charge it in, I would probably have to drop the rent anyways, bake in that water fee, and it would just end up being the same amount anyways. Um, and then my insurance may be a little bit higher. I found compared to single family and duplexes that on duplexes, my insurance costs do um, become a little bit higher because of, I don't know if it's the liability portion of having two tenants or just like the cost of the property to rebuild because now you have two kitchens to replace, two bathrooms to replace. Um, and then also the gas for the property um, that is the heat source and for the hot water tanks, that is not separately metered, only the electric is. So the gas would be paid by uh, me, the landlord, because there's no way to tell which tenant used which meter or used how much because there's not the the separate meters to actually build them back. So this puts it at the monthly cash flow, $116, cash on cash return, 11.22%. The purchase cap rate, which honestly, I don't care that much about a purchase cap rate is 9.33%. And then the pro forma cap rate, 6.53%. Your monthly income, $2,100 a month. Your monthly expenses, $1,983.07. So 
the last thing I factored into this is I put in the analysis over time saying that I can expect a 3% increase in rental income, 3% increase in expense income, which probably could be a little bit more for each. And then the 5% per year property value increase. Remember that um, statistics showed us that it projected to be 6%. I'm being conservative and I did 5%. And then I just kind of laid out how the property would appreciate, but also on the calculator report, it's really nice because when you put in how you're financing the deal, if there's a mortgage, it also calculates what your loan balances based on if you made your payments to pay down principal and interest, paying down the principal balance and gaining equity by the 5% increase every year from appreciation, but also by that loan balance being paid down um, and what your your value is going forward and how much equity you actually have in the house. So for a, I hold the property for 30 years, it's projected to have $860,000 in equity. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's just kind of an insight as to how I would do uh, an analysis on a single family or duplex property. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best-selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
from the launch stage to the first order stage to the, did we just sell out the whole store stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms? And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the Bigger Pockets bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash bprookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash bprookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash bprookie. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. And world-class breakdown, Ashley Care. So let me let me ask you, um, how how much of what you did uh, has changed between Ashley, I don't know, 2019 versus Ashley today? Like, because that was obviously a lot of information. I'm just curious, like how much of this is just, have you learned to like repetition? Because I guess I don't, I don't want our listeners to hear this. Like, man, I'm not well-equipped to do any of that. So it's just like, was there a starting point and you kind of built on top of it or just, I don't know, just kind of if, give us some insights into how it's changed, I guess. Yeah. So when I first started out, it was very much like on the, on a piece of paper, it's like, here's what the expenses are. And then I actually got very diligent in verifying everything. And that's where I were like, like knew the dollars down to the penny. And then that's where I kind of transitioned into, okay, I can ballpark the property taxes. Uh, for the example I showed you, I don't really know a ton about that market. So that's where I was like, I need to know exactly what the property taxes are in which I do do that. But for a rough analysis, for a market I'm already investing in, help ballpark the property taxes and the insurance, the water bill, things like that. And if it like comes out, you know, looking kind of good, then that's when I go further in and I actually pulled the exact number. So right now, what has changed for me with the market is what are my options for funding and also refinancing this deal? So really getting creative with that. Uh, so right now my line of credit is a lot cheaper than using hard money or a private money lender. Okay. And I want to use that to my advantage so that I can be more competitive because I have that rate. Um, also with my private money lenders, what can I work out with them? Like maybe if I'm not even using them for all of the deal or part of the deal, uh, definitely putting in offers for seller financing. So I'm getting more flexible on 
how I'm actually going to fund the deal and how I'm going to get creative with the financing going forward. The next thing I'm looking at is to what are the income streams on the property? So right now, like in Seattle, Washington, you can put an ADU, an additional dwelling unit on a single family home. You can put the ADU in your backyard and, uh, you know, that can increase the value of your property and also bring in rental income. So if you're going to sell this house as a flip, you now get someone, it makes it more affordable to someone because they have that rental income of the ADU in the back. They're willing, they can now pay more for the property and that's more in your pocket. And a lot of times the cost of building that ADU is less than what you could actually sell that property for. So for me is looking at all the different revenue streams that can come out of that property. So with this one, it was changing that single family back into a duplex to really maximize that revenue. Oh, one thing. Yes. There's one last thing I would add is that in my market, at least the, there's been huge rent growth over the last couple of years, but it has become very stagnant. So be careful that you are not riding those high projections again of what you can get for rental income. So look at the rental growth trends for your area too. Um, I just got a six unit emailed to me this morning from my broker and I'm looking at what the seller had projected the rental incomes that you could get because they said it's way below market rent. You should be able to get this. And when I pulled comps, you could not get that comps from last year. You could get that, but it had, you know, decreased by like a hundred dollars of what it they were renting for last year. And that $100 makes a big difference across the bottom line when it's a six unit. So that's $600 a month that you're not getting anymore as to what they're projecting. And if you go off of old numbers or that aren't accurate, then, you know, that that's where you can get into trouble. So to even be more conservative, I always go a little bit under as to what the market rent is. Yeah, that's a, a really good point. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that same concept as well, Ash, about you know, making sure that your your data reflects recent changes in, in the market that you're looking into. Um, but cool, let's uh, let's talk analyzing short term rentals. You know, uh, there, there's some overlap, obviously, between what Ashley just explained when she's looking at long term rentals uh, and, and what we'll be doing with short term rentals, specifically uh, on the expense side. You know, when you're analyzing the expenses for a property as a long term. And as a short term, you you have mortgage expenses, principal and taxes and insurance. Um, you have uh, utilities. It's just that on a short term rental, you're typically paying the utilities versus with a long term rental, you can pass that along to your guest. Um, so the the expense side is pretty similar, right? A lot of those inputs are are the same. Where long term and short terms really differ is on the income projection side. So Ashley talked about how, you know, she just mentioned it, right? She looked at comparable properties to see what they were renting for today. And usually it's one fixed number that you can assume you're going to make over the life of that lease. So if I say this property is going to rent for $1,300 and then I sign a lease with a tenant for $1,300, then I know for the life of that lease that I'm going to make $1,300. Um, with short-term rentals, you have variable income uh, on a monthly, weekly, daily basis that you need to account for. So I'm going to talk about um, what that exact process looks like for 
analyzing or estimating the income on a short-term rental. Okay, so when you're analyzing a property as a short-term rental, specifically when it comes to the income, there are three kind of key pieces of information that you need to understand. You need to understand your average daily rate, which is uh, also called your ADR. You need to understand your occupancy and you need to understand your cleaning fees. And I'll break down each one of those three pieces. So again, your average daily rates, your occupancy, and your cleaning fees combine to make up your income for a property. So let's let's go over ADR first. ADR, again, stands for average daily rate. And basically what this number is, is that it's the number that guests are willing to pay to stay at your property for a single night. And usually when you're analyzing a property, you want your ADR to be an average across the entire year. So you say on average across an entire 12-month period, 365 days, what are guests willing to pay for one night at my property? And the reason we want to make sure that we're looking at an entire year is because in the short-term rental industry, what people are willing to pay for a single night varies pretty dramatically depending on the week of the or the night of the week that they're booking. Right, People are typically willing to pay more for a Friday or a Saturday night booking than they are for a Tuesday night booking right? because there's more people traveling on the weekends. So the, the, the night of the week makes a difference. The week of the, of the month makes a difference. And the month of the year makes a big difference as well. Most seasons kind of have their, their peak time uh, and most seasons kind of have their, their slow time. Uh, for me in some of my markets, summer is the busiest time in some of my markets, whereas in other markets, summer is the slowest time. So you want to understand what those nuances are in your market to make sure that you're accounting for that in your average daily rate projection. So again, your ADR is pretty heavily impacted by seasonality. So you want to make sure that you're looking at that number across an entire year. And I'll give you guys a breakdown on how to actually identify what that ADR is. But for now, I just want you to understand ADR stands for average daily rate. And it's the number that shows you what your guests are willing to pay on average across an entire year for one night at your property. Next is your occupancy. Occupancy tells you how many days out of the year you can expect to be booked. Now, again, if I'm comparing short-term rentals to long-term rentals, once you sign a lease with a tenant, you can expect your property to be fully booked, or at least that unit to be fully booked for the entire duration of that lease. So if you sign a 12-month lease with someone, then you know for the next 12 months, uh, you are going to be fully occupied. Whereas with short-term rentals, we don't have leases that we sign with tenants. We have guests who come in and stay for a couple of nights and then they go home. So there's always some percentage of nights that go unbooked. And that's what you want to try and identify uh, for your occupancy is, okay, out of 365 days, how many days can I expect to be booked? And again, you want to look at this number as an average across a year for the same reasons that we want to look at your ADR on average across an entire year because your occupancy changes or goes up and down depending on the month of the year, okay? Um, and again, I'll, I'll show you how to pull this, these numbers here in a sec. And then the last thing that you want to look at that, that gets included in your income is your cleaning fee income. Now, this is something that's unique to short-term rentals, but when you book a property on Airbnb or Verbo, as a guest, when you book a property, not only are you paying for the stay, right, for your, your nightly rate, but you're also paying for additional fees. Airbnb charges fees, Verbo charges fees, but then hosts also charge what are called cleaning fees. And this cost usually gets passed on to your cleaning staff, 
Uh, however, you should recognize it as income for two reasons. First, because it's included in your deposit from Airbnb and Verbo when they pay you out. Uh, and then second, you also have the opportunity to turn your cleaning fee income into a slight profit center. As an example, uh, on some of our properties, we might pay our cleaners, I don't know, $115 per clean, but we can charge our guest $125 per clean. So that means if I'm only paying out $115, but I'm collecting $125, every time that property gets clean, I'm making a profit, quote unquote, of $10. And say that my property, I don't know, maybe I get booked 10 to 15 times per month, that's an additional $100 to $150 in, in profit that I'm generating from my cleaning fee. So I usually like to include my cleaning fee as part of my income for a property as well for those two reasons. So again, to recap, your three pieces are your average daily rate, your occupancy, and then your cleaning fees. So once you have all three of these, you want to put them into a formula. And uh, again, I've, I've got a free calculator that you guys can all download. If you head to the realestaterobinsons.com forward slash calculator. Again, that's the realestaterobinsons.com forward slash calculator. It's a free download. It's an Excel file that I've used. Tens and thousands of people have downloaded this calculator to help them analyze deals. Um, but if you want to kind of follow along on that calculator, you'll, you'll be able to do that, do that there. But once you get all of that data, you want to plug it into a formula to understand what your projected income is. So basically, you take whatever your occupancy percentage is, and you multiply that to 365 days. And that will tell you how many days out of the year you can expect your property to be booked. So say from your analysis, you say, hey, 75% is a good occupancy number for this property in this market. So you would take 75%. Multiply that to 365, that gives you 274. So now you know, okay, I'm going to be booked roughly 274 days out of the year. So that's the, the first step. The second step is to take that 274 or whatever number you land on and multiply that to your projected average daily rate, to your projected ADR. So let's say that you have 274 days you project to be booked. And say through your analysis, you say $250 is a good projection for my ADR. You take 274, multiply that to 250, and you get $68,500 in baseline revenue. Okay, let me repeat that one more time. 274 days is what you project to be booked. You multiply that, 274, times your projected ADR. Again, in this example, let's say it's 250. 274 times 250 equals 68,500. That's your baseline revenue for your property. The last step then is to add in your projected cleaning fee income. Again, there are steps you can take to understand, hey, what's what's the average cleaning fee that uh, properties are charging in my market? You use that data to assume what your cleaning fee is for the year, and then you add that to your baseline income. So again, say we have a baseline of 68,500, uh, and through our analysis, we identify we can collect another $18,000 a year in cleaning fees, which is not unreasonable at all. Um, $68,500 plus the $18,000 in cleaning fees gives you a total income of $86,500. Okay. So those are the, the inputs that you need to project your income. You need your occupancy percentage, which gives you how many days you'll be booked out of the year. Multiply that to your projected average daily rates, which gives you a baseline income. And then you add to your baseline income what you project your property will collect in cleaning fees to get your total 
income on that property. So that's the kind of overview of how you project your income. Now, I, I want to break down in just a little bit more detail how to project your average daily rate um, and your occupancy, because those two things are, are super critical to get right. Now, there, there are two kind of different ways to project your ADR and uh, your occupancy levels for a property. The first approach is your comp-based approach, so your comparison-based approach. The second approach is what I call your percentile-based approach. So your first approach, approach number one, is your comparison-based or your comp-based approach. The second approach is what I call your percentile-based approach. Now, let me break down what each of these means. In the comparison-based approach or the comp-based approach, what you're doing is you're looking for properties that are similar uh, in size, design, and amenities, functionality, location to your property. Okay, you you have your subject property that you're analyzing, and you want to find other active listings on Airbnb or Verbo that are similar in size, design, functionality, amenities, location, etc. Okay, so if yours is a brand new construction built in 2023, then you want to find other properties, ideally that are brand new construction built in 2023. If yours is a um, you know, farm style rehab that was built in the fifties. You want to try and find other farm style rehabs that are built in the, that are built in the fifties and recently rehabbed. If you have a loft in downtown, you want to try and find other lofts in downtown. So you, you kind of get the idea here, but the goal is to use Airbnb and identify properties that are similar to yours. Once you have those properties identified, you want to understand what are those properties charging on a nightly basis across a 30, 60, 90 day window. And you want to go 30, 60, 90 again to account for the fact that prices are seasonal, that ADRs are seasonal. Because if you just look at a, say, seven day window, you might be getting the best week of the year or you might be getting the worst week of the year. Either way, your numbers are going to be off. But when you go out over you know, a 7, 30, 60, 90 day window, you start to get a, a mix of what the different uh, seasons and, and months can produce in terms of ADR. So you create your list of comparable properties, right? If you go through Airbnb, you can literally just open up Airbnb, look at your chosen market, click through, find listings that are similar and open up their calendars to see what they're charging. Okay, it's a completely free way to do this. Um, and you want to try and build out as many comparable properties as you can. The more, the merrier, right? I'd say at minimum, you want to get somewhere between 10 to 15. Uh, ideally, you want to get as many as you can, okay? Don't put an upper limit. As long as it's a good comp, you should include it inside of your, your approach there. Once you have your comp based, again, you want to go through those listings and understand how booked are they over a seven-day window? How booked are they over a 30-day window? What are they charging over a seven-day window? What is their average price over a 30, over a 60, over a 90-day window? Then you use those numbers, you get the averages of those, and you plug it into the formula that we talked about earlier. Okay, so that's the first is the comp-based approach. The second approach is the percentile-based approach. And I like doing both because the comp approached uh, it, it's kind of like your your sniper rifle approach where you're picking out specific properties that you feel are uh, exceptionally similar to yours, whereas the percentile-based approach is kind of an aggregate approach that, that pulls in a little bit more data but, but kind of gives you a, a better overview of the market. Now, unfortunately, or not unfortunately, I guess fortunately, there's 
paid software out there to help you do this. Uh, I don't know of a way to do this for free outside of like you trying to build your own scraping tool to pull all of this data. Uh, but there, there are websites out there like AirDNA and Price Labs that are data providers for the short-term rental space. We use uh, Price Labs for a lot of our data analysis. Um, and I think, gosh, what is, if you guys go to hello.pricelabs.co forward slash the real estate Robinsons, uh, you get, I think a 30 day free trial and then like 10% off of your first bill. So again, that's hello.pricelabs.co forward slash the real estate Robinsons. And what you want is their market dashboards tool. And with the market dashboards tool, you're able to collect uh, an insane amount of data on the properties that reside within inside of your chosen market. Uh, so if you're following along on YouTube, you can see this future prices table here that I'm, I'm referring to. And basically what Price Labs does is that for whatever data set you choose, right? So say I want to look at a specific market and I want to look specifically at three bedrooms within that market. Price Labs gives me both historical and future data on what prices, what ADRs are being charged at different levels. Okay. So it breaks it down by, Hey, at the 25th percentile, here's the average price that listings are charging at the 50th percentile. Here's the average price that listings are charging at the 75th. Here's the average at the 90th. Here's the average. So I can see across my market at different, I guess, levels of not luxury, but you know, different levels of property quality where 90th would be top of the market, 25th would be the bottom of the bar market. I can see on average, what are these different properties charging? And I love looking at this data because you can get super granular, both looking at historical data and forward looking data. Now I'll try not to get too much into the weeds here, but basically you want to be able to pull this data and identify on a month over month basis, going back as far as you can. I think right now you're able to go back to like uh, 2020 or maybe even 2021 in price lapse data. And you want to go as far back as you can and just start looking at the trends. What is the average price for the month of July in 2021? What is the average price for the month of July in 2022? Uh, month of July in 2023 and start comparing those. And what you'll be able to see as you do that analysis is what are the different price points I can expect to charge based on how nice my property is. So if I think my property will operate in the, the, the top 10% or that 90th percentile, then I can kind of look at that data set to help me gauge what my average daily price and my occupancy will be. If I think that I'm going to be more kind of like middle of the road budget listing, then maybe I'm going to be looking at that 50th percentile to, to gauge that. But once you have those different percentiles mapped out and you've looked at it month over month, year over year, you then have a really good handle on what do I think I can uh, achieve with the listing that I have. Now, one important thing to call out, and this is one of the changes that you really have to be aware of, and Ashley kind of mentioned this as she was talking about uh, at the end there about her long-term rental piece, you want to understand if your market is up or down year over year. Now, we're recording this in the summer of 2023, and uh, if you've been following the short-term rental industry, 2021 was a crazy year for short-term rentals. It was Immediately post-COVID, uh, there was a, a, a tremendous amount of pent-up demand for short-term rentals, and uh, not nearly as much supply as there is today. So you you saw this uh, uh, you know extreme amount of uh, demand with this kind of lagging to to keep up supply. So you, you really saw a lot of listings do exceptionally well in 2021. 
2022, you saw more supply come on board, uh, where you saw kind of uh, demand come back down to somewhat normal levels. And I think 2023 will be the first year where we see, uh, a, you know, maybe a more so normalized travel cadence, uh, at least across the United States. So what you're seeing in, in many markets, and this isn't true for all markets, but in, in a lot of markets where 2021 has a higher revenue projection than 2022, and even where 2022 has a higher revenue projection than 2023. So like in the example that I'm showing here, if you're following along on, on YouTube, we can see that the average price in this market for 2021 was $138. In 2022, that same data set had an average price of $135. So our ADR dropped by $3 in that same market year over year. Now, obviously $3 isn't a huge swing, um, but you just wanna make sure that you're accounting for that because maybe in this market, it's only a $3 drop, but maybe in a different market, it's a 15 or, or 25 or a you know, $100 drop, which makes a big difference in ADRs over an entire year. So you wanna make sure that not only are you looking at um, you know, what, what am I projecting this property to do, but what is the difference year over year and am I accounting for that in my projections of this property? Okay. And the approach that I just laid out, even though I'm talking ADRs, you can pull that exact same information for your occupancy rates as well. And that'll allow you to see, hey, at the 25th, the 50th, the 75th, the 90th percentile, what kind of occupancy numbers am I seeing? So once you have all that data, then you're able to drop it into a, a calculator. And the data that you pulled, it drops right into the calculator that I share with you guys. Again, if you go to the realestaterobinsons.com forward slash calculator, you can get a free copy of this. But here's just an example uh, of, a, of a sample deal that we've looked at. Um, so the property that we were looking at had a purchase price of $665,000. Um, it was a 15% down payment. We were estimating about 3% for closing costs. Uh, that would bring our total cash investment to just under $120,000. Based on our research, we saw an average daily rate or an ADR of 385 for this property. We projected our occupancy to be 77%. And then we saw another $2,200, give or take, in cleaning fee income, bringing the total income of that property to $134,000. Now, again, don't worry about the specifics here, but just know we took our, our ADR, our occupancy, and our cleaning fee income, and we came to a total gross income of 134, almost $135,000. We then plugged in all of our um, expenses. So again, the basic stuff, your mortgage rates, your uh, mortgage amount, your insurance, your taxes. The one thing that again, is kind of unique to short-term rentals is Airbnb also charge, charges a fee for you to be on their platform, right? That's how they keep the lights on. And as of this recording, Airbnb charges a 3% fee to host on every single booking. So you'll wanna make sure that you're accounting for that 3% um, in your analysis as well. So on $134,000 in revenue, a 3% fee is about $4,000 annually that you're paying to Airbnb. So you wanna make sure you're accounting for that as well. Um, but anyway, once we do all that, we're able to see what our total cash on cash return is for this property uh, and then allow us to make a decision on if it's a good deal or not. So I know that was a lot of information. Uh, if you guys wanna go back and rewatch this on YouTube, I encourage you to do so. But uh, just at a high level, to recap what I'm talking about here, the steps you need to take, the data that you need, um, you want your average daily rate, you want your occupancy, you want your cleaning fees, you wanna find comparable properties, either through the comp approach um, or using the, the kind of aggregate data from something like Price Labs. Take that information, plug it into that free calculator, and then you kind of spit out a, uh, a cash on cash return. And you've gotta decide whether or not that cash on cash return is good for you. 
Um, so I hope that was helpful, guys. Again, if you're watching on YouTube, you can scan this QR code to, to download that free calculator. If you're listening to the podcast, just head over to the realestaterobinsons.com forward slash calculator, and you can get yourself a free copy of that as well. But that was a mouthful. I'm going to shut up now because that was a lot of information. I don't know, Ash, I guess any any thoughts from you? I think uh, David and Rob might not have us back because we went way over the time <laughs> that they allotted us. But uh, <laughs> thank you guys so much for joining us. We hope that you took some value away. And so our little intro there about just deal analysis in general, and then the deep dives into real life deals that Tony and I are looking at. So Thank you guys for listening, whether you're on the Real Estate Podcast or you're listening on the Rookie Podcast. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson on Instagram. And you can hear from us again on the Real Estate Rookie Podcast or on YouTube searching Real Estate Rookie. We also have a huge community page on Facebook, Real Estate Rookie. Thank you guys, and we'll see you next time. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.